You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, good morning. Easter is here. It's an amazing day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But it's a crazy day, right? We are living in a time that we're going to tell our grandkids about. It's a time that documentaries are going to be made of. It's a time, a historic moment in, in the history of time of mankind. And we're going to be able to tell our kids about it. And, and it's going to be telling the stories about where, what quarantine was like and, and possibly hard stories about how we lost our job or, or how things got tight. We're going to be telling stories about how people came together and, and how we figured out new ways to do things like church. We're going to tell stories about how we met in Easter Sunday in our pajamas in the living room. It's going to be an amazing time that we're going to tell our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids about uh, this historic time. But this morning, I hope that we can put all that aside and focus on the greatest event in all of history. The event in history that changed everything, that changed mankind, that changed your life and mine, that changed our eternity and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the resurrection story, and then we're going to look at another story that you might not normally think of for Easter, but I believe that at the end we're going to see they come together. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to begin by opening it to Mark chapter 15. So while you're getting out your Bible, while you're pulling that up on your phone, um, while you're flipping through, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us as we go into God's holy word. Lord, we just pray that your word is alive and active this morning, that you will speak through this, and that we will be able to dive into the amazing, eternity-changing story of your resurrection. And God, we just dive into that today, right now, in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 25. It says, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. They written notice of the charge against him, read... The king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. But in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes, down, comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross. 
as our sacrifice. You see, it was a sacrifice. If you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you, know, you understand this idea of a sacrifice. From the beginning of time, from Genesis chapter 3, we have this idea of a sacrifice that sin happens and then death must occur. Death is the result of sin. And so if sin happens, there has to be death and a sacrifice to atone for those sins. And so this idea of sacrifice is developed throughout the Old Testament. And so you would sin and then you would go and make a sacrifice. You'd make a sacrifice in the temple for maybe your sins and your family's sins. And you would do this week after week, year after year, uh, decade after decade. Because, you see, the, the sacrifice only covered the sins from the past. The sins that you've already committed. And so you would sin and make a sacrifice. But then you'd often sin again. And you'd have to make a sacrifice again. Sin again, sacrifice. Sin again, sacrifice. Sin again, death. Sin again, death. Sin, death. It was this vicious cycle that you have to go over and over and over. But on the cross, everything changed. You see, Jesus was that ultimate sacrifice. Because of the sins of mankind, from Adam and Eve, from the beginning of time, all the way through the sins of all of the people in the Old Testament, the sins of the people of his contemporaries, of Peter, who denied him three times that day, up through the future, to the sins of you and me, to the sins of the generations to come past us. He was the sacrifice. That there was a sin, and there must be death. But with Jesus, it all changed. This cycle of sin, then death, sin, and then death, sin, and then death, change to sin, and then death, and then victory. See, that's what we're here to celebrate. That's why we have Easter, is to celebrate the victory over death, the victory over the cycle, the victory over this idea of Satan being able to oppress us, being able to convict us. There's, this, there's victory over that, and that is the victory over death, over Satan, over hell. That is what it gives us eternal life for those that believe in him, those that believe in that he was a sacrifice and that he was victorious. See, the passage continues. We leave it that he has died, and even the centurion sees that he is surely the Son of God, but he's dead. They take him away. They place him in a tomb, wrap him in cloths, and roll stone in front of the tomb. But three days later, this is where we pick up on the story. This is what we celebrate this morning on Easter morning. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And the story continues. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Solomon brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the, the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Did you get that? The message of the, the young man, the message of the angel is he is risen. He is not here. The message was the cycle of sin and death is broken. He is victorious. He is risen. Death has no sting because Jesus has conquered death. 
So the cycle that the people had to go through, the cycle that you and I would have to go through to atone for our sins is over because Jesus has broken that cycle and he has atoned for the sins of all mankind for all of time because he has beaten the consequence of sin. He has beaten death with his resurrection. This is the greatest moment in history We said we're living through an amazing time in history right now that we'll tell generations to come about, but it's nothing in comparison to the time in history that changed eternity. The time in history that changed the future for all of mankind. And that is recorded that morning that we see the ladies go and they find, and the angel says, he is risen, he is no longer here. He has conquered death. Isn't that amazing? This is the story of Easter. This is what we come this morning to celebrate, is his, his victory over this death. I want to dive into another story, a story earlier in Jesus' life that you might not picture for a normal Easter story, but I think is relevant to today, and it's relevant to uh, the times that we're living in right now, but it's relevant to today, to this Easter morning. If you have your Bibles, now flip over to Luke chapter 17. Go in your app and go to the different book and, and we'll pick up in Luke 17. And, and at this point, Jesus has just had a healing of Lazarus and the Sanhedrin is fresh out to get him. They are seeking to put charges against him to have him captured and have him put to death. And so Jesus, his time has not quite yet come. The Passover is still about a month away. And so he is laying low in a small town of Ephraim. And so he's laying low in this town and he comes across this group of people. This group of people that have been outcasts. This group of ten, of no more than ten, a group of ten that are crying out to Jesus. This group that have been outcast by society, this group that has been treated poorly, this group that feels alone and isolated and lonely, this group that's struggling. You see, this area that he's on is partly between Galilee and Samaria. And and this group actually is nine Jews and one Samarian. Groups that normally would hate each other. Groups that a Samaritan would never associate with a Jew and Jews vice versa. But in the hard times, everyone came together. It didn't matter your nationality. We're all struggling together. And so he comes across this group of ten. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. You see, they would have been forced to yell at a distance. They couldn't come up to Jesus like everyone else. The children come up. The bleeding woman comes up. The crowds are crushing in. Even Zacchaeus is on a tree trying to get close enough to Jesus. Not the lepers. They had to cry out at a distance. You see, they had leprosy. And if you're not familiar with leprosy, I could just barely begin to describe the horrors of this extremely contagious disease. As I was researching, I found out that it comes from, from the, the word lepo, which means to peel off of scales, and that your skin begins to flake off. Throughout the Bible, when it's mentioned, it says that they were white as snow and they were, that their body flaked. This idea of leprosy, we often think of it as a skin disease, but it's actually a neurological disease that affects the entire body, starting with the spine. 
And sure, it makes your skin flake off and turn white and, and flaky. But it also starts to begin to contort your, your limbs. It begins to break down body parts to where your nose would collapse in. Deform your body. Agonizing and horrible. It affects the nervous system where you can't feel, so you can't feel what you're touching. Everything about it is awful. And it's highly contagious. So this group of ten are set apart. This group of ten are no longer allowed to be near anyone. This group of ten are so contagious that if someone comes near them, they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing and they were treated poorly. There's legends of a, a rabbi, Rabbi Mar would say that he would not even eat an egg on a street. He would not purchase an egg on a street that a leper had been on. Another rabbi tells that he, used to, that he would throw stones at lepers to keep them away until they would run and hide and stay away from him. These are the rabbis. These are the ones that are supposed to love. These are the ones that are supposed to care for. And that's how they treated this outcast group. It was incredibly humiliating and lonely. See, this group would be banished outside the city walls. And if they came in the city, they would receive a beating, the same beating that Jesus received, 40 lashes minus one. They would receive this beating, and they were, they were ordered to be at least six feet away from anyone. I think it's interesting. And today we have these distances of six feet recommended and, and it's all the science has figured out that that's the distance that we would be able to keep and keep safe. Well, these instructions were first brought by God in the book of Leviticus to protect the people from getting leprosy. He knew the distance that was needed was six feet. Pretty interesting, huh? And so they had to be six feet away from any human touch. They had to be six feet away from anybody. It was even said that their beds had to be low and inclined towards the ground. So if they were to die, all you would have to do is tilt, tip the bed, have a bag underneath, tip the bed, and they would fall into the bag and you would take them and dispose of the body and not have to touch. This highly contagious disease led them to, to live a life that many of us are living right now. This life of self-quarantine. This life of social distancing that you can't be within six feet. This life of not being able to touch your loved ones. Not being able to go to work. Not being able to go to school. Not being able to be in part of fellowship. Not being able to go be part of a church. Not being able to go and worship God corporately. This life that we're living was the everyday life for these lepers. So they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Can they believe that he can do something and they, they're crying out to him, please do something. And it says, verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't heal them automatically. He could have right then and there. But he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Because if the leper was to somehow be healed, they had to go and be, there was a ceremonial process that they had to be cleansed by the priest. And so he tells them to go and see the priest, which is saying, you will be cleansed. Go. You will be rid of this disease. These horrible times will be past you. Go. But first they have to take the step. First they have to take the step of faith. Step out and go. And when they do that, 
on their journey to see the priest, in the midst of their faith that Jesus, the healer, would be able to heal them. Their skin is still flaking, but they still turn and they begin to go to the priest, to say to the priest, I have been cleansed. Start the process. They are healed. They are cleansed. Their faith in Jesus, the healer, cleanses them. So they had to go to the priest and, and to be ritually signaled clean as a leper was a, a week-long, actually an eight-day-long process. On the first day, they would take a sacrifice of, of, a, of a bird and they would kill that bird and then they would mix the blood with oil and water and then you, they would dip cedar wood in it and then another live bird. And then they would put that live bird in the blood and then they would send it away. And that was day one. And then the leper was to bathe, to get rid of, burn all their clothes, to shave, and to be completely clean. They would get new clothes, and they were welcomed into the city, but they could not go into their home. They could still not be close to their loved ones. They could still not be uh, in a close distance, could not give a hug to their kids, embrace their spouse. And so seven days would go by and then the leper would go and present themselves to the priest again and the priest would order them to again to bathe, to shave, and to clean their clothes. And so they would get rid of those clothes again and they would put on new ones they would, after they've bathed, after they've shaved. And then on day eight, they would come with another sacrifice. And this time the priest would take the blood of that sacrifice and the oil and they would dip it on their ear, on their thumb, and on their toe. And at that, the leper was then cleansed. Ceremonial cleansed. Uh, it was a rite of passage that the priest would say, they are welcome to be part of society again. They are welcome to go back to work. They're welcome to worship with us. They're welcome to hug their kids. The social distancing was over. The quarantine was over. They could be back with each other. And so this is where they're headed. They're excited. They find out that they've been, that they, they believe that Jesus will heal them. So they head to begin this eight-day process because they just want to get back to normal life. They want to get back to work. They want to get back to school. They want to get back to their family. They want to get back to life as they once knew it. And so they hurry off to the priest to begin this process. And they all realize, you can imagine as they're traveling, they realize, look, look at your skin. Look at your skin. Look at me, I'm healed. The, the pain has gone away. The deformations have gone away. And they look at each other and they see that they are healed and they continue this process to the priest to be able to go back to normal life because they're so excited that life again will continue. Everyone but one. The Samaritan is with the group. He realizes he's healed too. And he's excited for normal life to begin, but first... He knows there's something that needs to be done. Verse 15 says, One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praised God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. He sees Jesus' work, and he wants to come and say thank you. As much as he wants to get back to normal life, praising God was more important. And so he comes back, and he says thank you. And Jesus asks, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Throughout the book of Luke, Jesus is over and over surprised at the disbelief or sometimes the ungratitude of his own people. This is yet again. I'm not saying that they were sinful. They, they, they had faith that they would be healed. They believed in Jesus as a healer, and they're headed to, to the priest to go continue on with life. But the Samaritan, he not only had faith, but he had gratitude. Gratitude. 
He had faith, and he wanted a relationship with Jesus. Jesus continues, Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The literal translation is, Rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Has saved you. All ten were healed, but one was saved. All ten are going to go back to normal life. But one, at the end of this experience, at the end of this tragedy, at the end of this hard time of leprosy, one will come back saved. One will come back with a relationship stronger with Jesus Christ. Life will return to normal for all of us. Someday, I don't know when that is. I don't know if that's going to be in weeks and months. Honestly, I don't know if it's going to be in years. But there will be a time when we're going to look back at this and, and it was just going to be a memory. There will be a time when we'll come back together, when we're back in school, when we're back in our work, when we're back with our family, where grandparents and grandkids can hug each other again. There will be a time when we're back and life is normal and we'll get back to normal life just as those nine lepers wanted to do. But when we look back at this time, perhaps we could look back as the Samaritan did. But that was a time we grew in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the time that we look back and in the midst of the hardest time of our life, we grew closer to Jesus. Perhaps for some, they might, you might look back and this is the time eternity changed for you. See, Jesus was that sacrifice or sin and then death, sin and then death. And that's the process that we've been going through. But when you've accepted Jesus, it goes sin, death, and victory. Are you victorious? Are you giving your life and your faith into Jesus? And are you victorious about that? A wonderful time. A wonderful decision to make to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you would be victorious with him. That this Easter, this, this resurrection of the Lord, this day of first fruits, that we would be able to focus on Jesus and say thank you. That we would run to him and say thank you. That in the time when our life we're hoping to get back to normal, let us not miss this opportunity to grow closer to the Lord. Let's not miss this opportunity to have a relationship with him. That this Easter would be a turning point for us. That as we talk about history and we talk about telling our kids and grandkids, what if we told our kids and grandkids, in the midst of that is when I accepted Jesus Christ. In the midst of that is when I grew closer to my Lord. Jesus brought me through this. In the times when I was anxious, in the times when I was scared, Jesus was the answer. In the times when I was fearful, in the times when I didn't know what to do, Jesus was the answer. And we run to him in the midst of these hard times and grow closer to the Lord as the Samaritan did. I pray that each one of us in the middle of this hard and scary and intense time would draw closer to the Lord. That in the midst of this historic time that we'll look back and see this is where our faith grew. I pray in the middle of the storm we will raise a hallelujah. I pray that at the end of this Jesus will be able to look at us as he did the leper on that day, and he said, rise and go, your faith had made you saved. I pray that prayer for each one of us, 
that in the midst of these times, we will be able to raise a hallelujah. In the midst of our enemy, we'll be able to raise a hallelujah, a praise that Jesus is victorious. That together, even in our different homes, in our different places, together, we will raise a hallelujah. If you'll pray with me, Lord, we thank you for the victory that is Easter. The victory that is the empty tomb, the message of that angel. He is risen. He is no longer here. And God, I pray that each one of us will be like that Samaritan, that we will go draw closer to the Lord in the midst of this hard time, in the midst of getting out of this hard time when life goes back to normal, when this all becomes a faded memory, that we will be able to look back and say, that's when we were saved. That we will look back and be able to say, that's when we grew closer to the Lord. That we'll be able to look back and say, Jesus is victorious. And because of that, we are victorious. God, we praise you for the victory. We thank you for the celebration of Easter. And we lift this up in your name. Amen.